Hi guys, we're sneaking in here for just a little bit of a fun little announcement before the episode starts. That's that's the breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Breaking news. Carrie Doherty and H. Allen Scott have something to say. We are the old time news announcer. Yes, of course. We are breaking news to tell you that we (laughs) will be releasing an episode two days from now on Friday the 8th. And this episode is going to be our big, gigantic, humongous, sweaty Many, many, many men filled. And it's going to, we have a huge announcement. Huge, huge. I mean, we're talking, you won't be able to sit in September situation. Like, I'm surprised you were able to walk in October. Yeah. yeah, We're just, we're having a lot of fun right now, you guys. You're going to feel a lot of things. No, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So make sure that you have your, you know, your podcast feed open and ready and social media feeds open and ready on Friday because we do have. A really fun, fun, big announcement that both Carrie and I are very excited about. And we hope you will be, too. Yes. So now on to our intro. Oh, we have to do the news announcer thing. Okay, now we get back onto the show. Get onto the show. Oh, God, I hate myself. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a Picture at Los Angeles 2023. Welcome to Out on the Lanai, the only Golden Girls podcast you're ever going to need to listen to. I am H. Allen Scott slash Sadie Pines. And I'm Carrie Doherty. And we are your go-to for everything Golden Girls. We've been doing this for like 10 years, people, and we do it all. We watch the Golden Girls episodes and talk about it. We watch the Golden Palace. We talked about that. We interview cast members and writers. Yes, we cover Golden Girls news. We're even breaking down the lives and careers of B. Arthur, Betty White, Estelle, Getty, and Rue McClanahan. Today, we have a very, very, very special episode for you. I'm like dapping dapping how excited I am, you know? (laughs) Like the kids do. Like the kids. Like the kids did five years ago. Let's be real. No one's dapping. Yeah, like I don't know. Are yeah, yeah, probably not. I don't I don't know. I don't know what the kids do. Um, we just had such an amazing conversation with a Gigi legend, Marsha Posner Williams. Now, if you're a huge Golden Girls fan, which if you're listening, you are. You know her because you've either seen her name in the opening credits of the show in seasons one through three as a co-producer, or if you've been to Golden Con, hopefully you were lucky enough to meet her or catch one of her panels. I met Marsha at Golden Con. She was warm and hilarious. She's so funny. Charming. She's so funny. She's so, so, so funny. And what's funny, and we talk about it in our interview with her, is that a a lot of times when you see a producer title in the opening credits of a show, that producer means that the person's a writer. And she was one of the non writing producers, but you'd never know meeting her because she is so funny. She's hilarious. But her job as a non-writing producer, and she talks about it, it is an incredibly difficult job that it takes so much skill and talent and patience to do. Um, So she's like, it's the best of both worlds. She's she's great at everything. That's, I mean, she is just, it blew me away how funny she is. I mean, I met her at GoldenCon. I knew she was funny, but like, never like this. I mean, this is, this was funny. 
She dropped, I mean, she and I had a conversation before this interview about certain things we were going to talk about, and she dropped some, she spilled some tea, she dropped, there were some surprises, things I learned about the girls that I never knew. Let's just say, I'm going to tease it, there's a show that you could only watch if you had extended cable, and that both Carrie and I watched in the 90s, that it turns out B. Arthur also was watching, and it's a little bit filthy, and it's going to blow your mind. It's going to blow your mind. If you're also, if you're watching the video version of this right now, um, I'm I look like an like an aviation pilot because <laughs> I'm wearing Stan's gaming headset, his broken Xbox headphones that yeah. has the little microphone. There, um, because my challenges. headphones broke. There's some challenges with Carrie right now. <laughs> um, it's fine. We're working on them. We're in a new era of Out on the Lanai, so. Things are happening. <laughs> Let's just go with it. Let's just, this is, we are who we are. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm trying to think of if I had a favorite moment of our conversation with Marsha, but I. I have two that I want to, that one we've already teased, that that moment that of B. Arthur with that television show. Um, and then another moment is some information on some of, on one of the girls that, you might see a little bit differently, not in a bad way, but like you might view them a little bit, there might be more nuance to how you view them. And I think that is really exciting because, you know, we're we, we're deep divers of the Golden Girls. That's what we do. And so I want to know everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the naughty, the fun. You know what I mean? I want to know it all. And so uh, it's going to be really interesting. I think people are going to love it. Yeah, I think so too. And I don't think we should wait very long because we talked to her for so long. There are so many fun things happening in this episode. So I know we are, we usually have a nice chatty, chatty, chatty up front. But right now, all we need to care about is Marsha Posner-Williams. That's all. I thought you were going to say Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. I will say, it, even though her name her name is three names that are very easy to pronounce. Marsha posner Williams, when you say them all together, it becomes sort of like alphabet soup in a way. You know what I mean? It becomes like Marshaposner. Like I, it's hard for me. It's to... the it's the going from the Arshaposner. It's that. Yeah. It's the Arshapos. Yeah. yeah. My daughter has a speech therapist, so I catch on to these things. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get to it. Let's get to Marsha yes. Posner Williams. I did it. Marsha Posner-Williams, welcome to Out on the Lanai. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. We're so, so happy to have you here. Now, you're most well-known to the Golden Girls community as a producer on the show and the proud owner of two Emmys and three Golden Globes, but you've also written a humor book, produced fitness videos, you work as a motivational speaker, and you even produced anti-terrorism ad campaigns for the State Department that resulted in the government's capture of major overseas terrorists. Marsha Posner-Williams, is there anything you cannot do? (laughs) Well, isn't that all just comedy, right? (laughs) It's been a long and storied career. Yeah. Yeah. And I say I say at this age now, I say my career is like World War Two. It's history. <laughs> so, you know, but it's, it's all how you look at it. But it's great to look back at it because you did some amazing things. And I want to start from the very beginning, because that's always where you got to start. What drew you to, te- yeah. to the television industry? 
Well, I have some good stories about that. So I think since I was five, I knew I wanted to work in this business somewhere, somehow, because I just watched television a lot. Um, in the, when I was in the sixth or seventh grade, this is such a great story. There was a, the most popular sitcom was That Girl, starring Marlo Thomas. Little did I realize how many years later I'd end up working with her brother, Tony Thomas, and her father, Danny Thomas, okay, who was the star of the very first sitcom I ever worked on called The Practice, starring Danny Thomas. Mm. Okay. Also the subject of a really great Golden Girls joke. L lesbian. Yes, Isn't the, Danny Thomas one? Or Lebanese. That's Lebanese. Exactly. Sorry, continue. Exactly. I, had to. I know everybody no. at home is screaming lesbian right now. <laughs> right. So when that girl was on the air, and I said, like I said, I was six, seventh, somewhere in there, I was so enamored that I became a member of the Marlo Thomas fan club. And I used to actually handwrite, which is all you could do in those days, write letters to the president of the Marlo Thomas fan club saying, what's it like? Do you get to talk to her? Are you on stage? I was so enamored even then. And this president of the fan club always wrote me back. Okay, cut to, I go to high school. I'm a college dropout, whatever. I moved to California. I work on this show, that is blah, blah, blah. Working on a pilot called Condo with Thomas Show, starring McLean Stevenson and uh, whomever, whomever, whoever. And we have a kid on the show. And the kid needs a guardian, a teacher, and all that stuff. So it's the first day of rehearsal. Everybody's meeting, everybody's saying hello. And I go up to the teacher and I said, uh, introduce myself. And we're talking. And she says, Are you by any chance from Scottsdale, Arizona? And I said, Yes. And we kept talking. She said, I used to be the president of the Marlo Thomas ah. fan club. I'm the one you used to write to. What? Wow. That's a remarkable. I love that. That's such a good story. Is that great? Wow. And that was, I know. And that was your like one of your first jobs out here. No, no, uh, I had already you... done soap and Benson, and you know, but this was after soap and Benson. Yeah. Wow. Still. Yeah. Incredible. But isn't that a great story? I love. I that. know. I know. That is a great story. <laughs> well, let's back up then a little bit more. And um, how did you first meet Susan Harris and start working with Susan Harris? So I, you have to back up one show before that, which was the show with Danny Thomas. Okay. As again, again, it was called the practice and I was hired for four weeks only. I'd never worked on a sitcom before. I was struggling terribly in this town, but I, at the time was reading and typing dirty jokes for a movie, an independent movie company that made two movies of nothing but dirty jokes. <laughs> I quit that job. And after two years and 20,000 dirty jokes, I tell people, don't test me because you'll lose. I've heard you so, spout some dirty. Um, you've, you're really good with the dirty jokes. I got to yeah. give it to you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So um, I quit that job. I'm out of work. Magically, one night I get a call from this woman who says, look, you don't know me. We don't know you. She said, but we're starting the second season of a show for NBC at MGM Studios called The Practice, starring Danny Thomas. And of course, my ears perk right up, right? I know who Danny Thomas is. She said, and the creator of the show is flying out from New York to help kick off the first four weeks. We need a secretary to work with him. And she said it was too late to call um, 
a, a temporary employment agency. So she said, I called a friend of mine and said, you know, somebody who can type really fast. And she said, yes, call Marsha Posner. So she said, can you start Monday for $200 a week plus overtime? And I went, oh my God, Danny Thomas, MGM Studios, network sitcom. I said, I'll be there Monday. Hung up the phone, called my dad and said, guess what? I've made it, <laughs> right? So, so um, and I tell kids this when I do lectures. I said, I thought to myself, first of all, I don't want to be a secretary. My, that's not what I had in mind. However, I was smart enough to know that young age the hardest thing to do, even to this day, and you know it too, in this business, is to get your foot in the door, mm -hmm. right? Yep. That's the hard, toughest part. So I was smart about it to say, okay, I got I got my foot in the door. What am I going to do to make them remember me in four weeks? And the answer was simple. Spoil them rotten. <laughs> yeah. Well, that works with a lot of Hollywood I people. went in. <laughs> well, you know what? I went in. Nobody could type faster than me. Because I could type 120 words a minute. That's incredibly so fast. When they when, That's very, very fast. Yeah. So when they realized that, that after the four weeks, this guy was leaving, they, I forget if she got fired or she quit. The executive producer secretary left and they moved me into that position. So four weeks turned into four months and the show got canceled. Tony Thomas or Paul Witt, they, they were both the producers of this show. One of them came to me and said, listen, we formed our own company and you're coming with us. So the day that Whit Thomas Harris went into business and opened an office, it was Whit Thomas Harris and Marsha. Wow. Okay. Wow. So I was there from day one. That's wild. That's how I met Susan Harris. Wow. That I That's now amazing. I'm now every time I see Whit Thomas Harris, I'm gonna see Whit Thomas Harris and Marsha. <laughs> but I'm gonna see it three times. I'm gonna see Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Of okay, good. Of course. Good, good, good. <laughs> Yeah, so that's how it started. Amazing. Wow. So, okay, so you join this company and there was there no, their first project wasn't actually the Golden Girls though, right? No. Oh, it was no. no. Oh, oh my gosh, of course even... that's right cuz they go way way but was it Hail to the King was that their first one? No. It was before that. And you're thinking of Hail to the Hail Chief. Hail to the Chief. What no, did I just... yeah. no. Hail to the King. <laughs> what am I... Yeah. No. Aye, aye, aye. Yeah. No, this is um we're going back to 19 um, <laughs> 1976. Oh, so right before soap, right or right soap. the year of soap, yeah. Right before soap, yeah. we did a show called "Loves Me, Loves Me Not," starring Susan Day and Ken Gilman. Up and down in thirteen, and soap was then born after Got that. It. Wow. 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 Which premiered September 1977. Well, I feel like we could do an entire podcast about soap. So I feel like we really could. I, I know. I feel like Next. we could talk so much about soap. But I do I <laughs> yeah. do want to dive into the Golden Girls. Um, can mm -hmm. you tell us when you came onto the show and then uh, describe your role as a non-writing producer for anyone who's unfamiliar with that job? Because that's unique. I think a lot of people like a lot of people think the writer is the producer. So like it is a unique role that you had. So it's it's not really that unique. It's just it's just one of the. OK, so um, when they did the original pilot, which, you know, had five people, Coco, the character of Coco, I was actually finishing up their other show, Hail to the Chief with um, Patty Duke and Ted Bess. Oh, you know, it was like Love it was like Patty so. Yeah. So when they decided to drop the Coco character, 
um, I came in then for the reshoot and and stayed, you know. So that's that that was the timing. So is that what you wanted to know? I'm having a senior moment. That's right okay. So, yeah. So yeah. so you came in during the reshoots. Um, I mean, you and I yeah. sort of talked about how we all felt so terrible for Charles Levin at the time. Well, I wanted right. to ask about that because, like, I mean, just as yeah. as a queer person, it it was. I mean, having a queer character on a television show in 1985 as one of the primary characters. I mean, Soap had done it, of course, but like it mm-hmm. had never really been done before in this kind of way. And it what like when when they when it was redone to sort of you know lose Coco, which mm-hmm. is wasn't because of anything him being gay, I don't believe, but like No, 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 was, no, not at all. What was that like what was that like? And like is that just sort of like the nature of the business or were you kind of like, oh, that would have been an interesting story? Well, First of all, the the character, you know, Sophia was not supposed to be a regular, but she was so strong with the ladies that they really decided, what do we need them for? Mm -hmm. They're so strong that they just didn't need that fifth character. Yeah. And it was too bad because he didn't do anything wrong, as I mentioned to you, Mm -hmm. um, Carrie. The, The guy didn't do anything wrong. He just it just wasn't the right time for him creatively you know yeah. so yeah creatively exactly so yeah and that happens a lot in t i mean know, happens a that's lot show in our, yeah, that's showbiz that's... baby well when did you know yeah. when you're doing the golden oh. girls okay Open sorry that. just to step back though but then um marcia could you sort of describe what your uh job was as a non-writing producer oh, yeah. as well thank you so yeah sorry so um when you look at the list of credits on sitcoms which i'm only talking sitcoms you might see 20 producers right? Those are 19 of them are writers with agents who got them a good deal with um, a title. Okay. But there's always one, sometimes two producers who are basically, there's the executive in charge of production. And then there might be a supervising producer, um, a co-producer like I was, and we oversee everything. So sometimes people would say, what, what was your job? And the easy answer is, well, let me tell you what I didn't do. I didn't write it, direct it, or act in it. Mm-hmm. But I oversaw everything else it took to bring that script to screen. Everything. So all the department heads reported to me. I told them how much money they had to spend and and, tell, and warned them not to spend it all. Okay. Um, I was in charge of the of just making sure that everything ran smoothly. I was the liaison between some many times between the stage and the head writers, between the head writers and the network sometimes. Okay. So uh, I have my own opinions about the networks and the studios, but that's a different podcast. So anyway, uh, yeah. So um, when you see sitcoms with all these producers on it, just know they're all writers yeah. with, like I said, with good agents who negotiate that deal. But there's only one of what I did, mm-hmm. or two, sometimes two, because they were like, we had an executive in charge of production who over, because they had three shows, they had three shows on the air at one time. I was just one doing my show. Yeah. Although I did do two shows simultaneously um, a couple of years, but almost I was going to anyway, say, it already, yeah. it's, I've, I've worked yeah. with with women who have had the same exact job that Marsha has had, and though I never worked with Marsha, obviously, I do mm-hmm. know how much patience organization 
time management, everything. Right. It really is your you're keeping the ship afloat, essentially, because the right. showrunner is, you know, Susan Harris has her writers and they're in charge right. of the creative, but you're really right. making sure that it is actually coming to fruition. And yeah. right. The nuts and bolts, yeah. right? The nitty gritty. Yeah. Plus I plus I used to um spend time in post production is when the show would be finally edited. I would do what's called sweetening every episode, um, which which they trained me on during soap days. So that's adding music, laughs, and effects. <gasps> I did all I oversaw all of that as well. Wow. So and a lot of producers in my job don't do that. And some of us do, some of us don't, but that was part of what I did. Wow. Could could H. Allen and I laugh for you right now and you tell us if we would be like would we get hired to to do like in the loop groups for sweeteners or however you can we just give you a little our laughs right now? Our studio audience laughs. Of course. Okay, I'm Ajahn, do you... my laughing no. muscle. I'm a Okay, we didn't prep muscle. this. This is completely yeah. off the cuff. So we're okay. okay. Are you ready? We're gonna. Yeah. I'm okay. ready. On the, on the right. count of three. One, two, three. Oh God, my stomach. Okay, so let me tell you something. That that who who you just did yeah. that belongs in the uh, married with children audience. <laughs> and here, yeah, right. And that's why I made sure that our laugh guy only used what we did was like the first four episodes because our audiences were so strong, yeah. right? That we would do us, we would have our audio guy do a separate track recording of just our audiences for like four episodes. Yeah. And then we would give all those tracks to the laugh guy and say, you can only use our audience for our show because I don't want that married with children laugh in our show. Yeah. It's completely different audience. Yeah. Well, right. So that's the that's why people hate laugh tracks when they hear them mm -hmm. because if you can hear them, they're bad. How you can tell? There's one episode of The Golden Girls, and it's the one with the actor where the bosoms and Blanche and the you know the chest. Oh thing. yeah, yeah. And there's yeah. one woman yes. in the audience <laughs> that has the most cackling of a laugh. You hear it like I look for it every single time I watch that episode. It's <laughs> like literally, it. she's just like. I mean, she's literally dying like a Simpsons character, and it is <laughs> yeah, so that's pretty funny. so funny, so funny, Marsha. That's really that's well, you know, it's like in the Lucy. I love Lucy. Mm -hmm. There was that one laugh that we all knew, yeah, yeah. so well. Yeah, you know, Lucy came to a Golden Girls time. Yeah, I remember. I, I so. read about that, or I saw a picture oh. of that. I think. Did I see a what, picture of that? Yeah. Which which show did which episode did she come to? That's a good question. Um, our lighting guy could tell you which it was because. He said to me, just about five years ago, he said to me, you know, Marcia, you gave me the greatest joy ever in my entire career. And I said, really? I said, because you were doing like 13 shows at once, which he was. He was really, really well known. I said, well, what are you talking about? He said, well, we were getting ready to shoot the Golden Girls and you came running into the booth, lighting booth, and you grabbed me by the arm and you said, you got to come out here right now. And I said, but we're about to start taping. I said, they're not going to start without us. Don't worry about it. And you grabbed me by the arm and you dragged me in front of the studio audience and sitting in the front row was Lucille Ball. And I said, Lucy, this is Alan Walker, our lighting director. Alan, this is Lucy. She wanted to meet the guy who makes these women look so good. So he said it was the greatest moment of his career. Wow. <laughs> because, and honestly, the, the, the way that there was this really beautiful softness about the way that the show was shot and the way that it was lit. That right. is, yeah. that's not something exactly. easy to do. It's mm -hmm. well, because right. it, it wasn't on film. Way, 
Exactly. And not only that, but it was the beginning of like the beta, um, using beta tape. And you had very hard outlines, you know, you Mm -hmm. could see the very hard outlines and he knew how to soften them and make them look and not have the light shining through their hair, which a lot of people, you know, so yeah. Incredible. Well, I do want to go back a little bit. So when you're first on the Golden Girls, like you've joined the Golden, the the show is running and you're doing your thing. When do you know that this is a hit that you feel like, wow, I I got a job for a few years here? (laughs) Well, before we went on the air, I can tell you that the audience reaction of those first few shows that we shot were overwhelming. So we thought, hmm, maybe something good's about to happen. Listen, it doesn't matter. One thing we learn when the first week's ratings come out, even if you're number one or number two, it's irrelevant because what matters is week three. Got to keep them up. Okay. That's right. Exactly right. So you can think and be excited, but you got to just hold, toe the line and just wait. Yeah. So I think after that third week, it just, the ratings started going through the roof. Wow. And we all went, oh, wow, this is really, this is really, and look, there's nobody protesting like they were on soap, you know, (laughs) and nobody's protesting. And how exciting is that? So yeah, it was, it was pretty quick. Yeah. And obviously. And I will tell you this. Uh, another quick little story. So we were working really, really hard. And one weekend, my husband and I decided to take off for the weekend and go to um, Newport Beach. And we're sitting at the, around the pool at the hotel. And there's a family with a little kid about eight years old next to us. Saturday night, it's a Saturday. And we hear the parents say, well, so what do you want to do tonight? Or where do you want to go? And the little girl said, I don't care what we do, but we have to be back by nine o'clock to see the Golden Girls. <laughs> and we knew right then this show was going to be a monster. And that hit. little kid was probably me because I was the child who was, <laughs> I was, I was the weird kid at school who was like talking about the Golden Girls and everyone else was talking about, I don't know, DuckTales or something, like something, exactly, something right? age appropriate. Right? And I'm like, did you hear Rose having sex last night? Because she <laughs> killed a man. She killed a man. Hey, I once, I did, I once, I did not go to a school dance because... TGIF was on. Like, I was like, why would I go to a school dance yeah. on a Friday when I was like in middle school? Because I was like, that's I just, TGIF. Yeah. Why? Why I would I miss that? I distinctly remember being in Charlotte's Web in like middle school or something. And they, the last episode of Seinfeld was airing or something. And everyone was so upset about it because the kids wanted to watch Seinfeld. And I was like, it's no Golden Girls. We're not missing anything. Right. <laughs> <We're> not- <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I totally I agree. Well, yeah. I so do want to speaking, know. Oh, oh well, speaking of your husband, um, Marsha, so yes. he, he was the main photographer for Whit Thomas Harris, and he photographed the women a lot, right? And I think you actually have some stories. Yeah. So uh, interestingly enough, one of the very first photo shoots with them that he did, he um, he he. <laughs> He got them together, put, sat them how they were going to sit or stand or whatever. And then he got behind the camera and he said, okay, now act like you like each other. <laughs> and that was the shot that he got. And it was the most iconic shot wow. ever of them. And so we just, yeah, we thought that was pretty funny. And then as the, um, B loved him because she hated having her picture taken. Mm. She hated doing publicity. As an example, remember the old show? We are too young to remember, but there was an old show called um, 
this is your life with yeah. Ralph Edwards. Mm-hmm. And they would surprise a celebrity, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So the, they called, I don't remember was year, what year it was, one, two, or three, but they said, we want to do This Is Your Life, Betty White. And we need to get everybody in on it, you know. So Rue said, yeah, I'm in, I'm in. And Estelle said, yeah, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And B. Arthur said, nope, no fucking way. <laughs> so the executives went to Wayne, my husband, and they said, look, because the, the ruse was going to be a photo shoot, and then Ralph Edwards was going to walk in in the middle of the photo shoot. So they said, Wayne, you got to save us. You know, really, you got to go talk to B. So he did. He went to B and said, look, I promise you, you'll be out in five minutes. I promise you. And so because he talked to her, she, she acquiesced and she did it. And he has a shot of the moment Ralph Edwards walked in to surprise Betty and you know, her face was like, so he, he has that shot, which is pretty cool. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. That's really, really sweet. Of yeah. course, well, B. Arthur didn't like being yeah. photographed. Of course, that's of course she didn't. I, you know, I <laughs> no. feel like everything. She didn't like wearing shoes. Yep. Yeah, she didn't like, wa- I feel like washing her hair, wearing makeup. You're describing me, basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, before we get into anything more, because I want to know about your relationship with the women and so many other things, we need to take a quick break, and we will be right back with Marsha Poser Williams. Yay. And we're back. Oh, Marsha. Okay, I need to know. I'm dying to know, actually. Because everyone feels like we know the girls. We call them our girls. But everyone feels like we know the (laughs) girls. But you actually knew the girls. What was your relationship with the girls? I had a great relationship with all of them, especially B. I mean, B would call me at home, tell me how much she hated Betty. You know, (laughs) B would call me at home, tell me she saw me on an episode of Real Sex on HBO. (gasps) No way. What? Whoa. Oh, is that news to you? No. Oh, my goodness. No. I, well, I know the show. I know the show, too, and now I want to know more. <laughs> I, you, she I have so Wayne. many follow-up questions. Okay, but yes, let's go. Yeah. Let's, start with, real, she let's start with Wayne. real sex. She, she called Wayne and said, Wayne, there's something wrong with my car. because the, the, I can't hear the, my cassette player. You need to come over to my house. So he went, you know, and got in her brand-new BMW and said, B... You need to turn the car on, okay? <laughs> and that was that. So, yeah. So, I mean, they were all wonderful with me. Wow. I, I love them all. Mm-hmm. Um, Estelle, in the beginning, was a little cranky because every, all the other women were much more famous than she was. And I kept saying to her, Estelle, trust me when I tell you this. Give it time. You will be as famous as them. Yeah. But you have we have to be on the air a little while. So just give it time. Trust me, it's you're going to be very famous. Yeah. So that's what happened. And then you know, this, then it all. And then came she together. became very famous. I mean, she's huge. And then she became very, very and famous. You stayed right? friends and with B long after the show too. I stayed friends with B for a while after I left the show. Um, not. You know, like I wasn't, I knew she had been ill, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know her that well at that time. Mm-hmm. But during my time with them, with her was awesome. Yeah. You know, oh. it was great. I mean, she was, she was doing a, a play called Bermuda Avenue Triangle mm-hmm. uh, with Joe Bologna and Renee Taylor. 
And she called me and she said, listen, I'm doing this play. It's in the Tiffany Theater on Sunset, 99 seats. And I want you and Wayne to come to opening Aww. the opening day. So, okay. So, you know, so we went yeah. and that, that was that relationship. That's sweet. That's, that's so sweet. Well, there's also, I mean, I feel like a lot of Golden Girls fans, I mean, of course, the conversations of B and Betty not liking each other. There's all those gossip, all those things. And it's also become, really? yes, it also has become <laughs> one of those things that even non-Golden Girls fans will be like, you know, B didn't like Betty. Like, it's gotten that big of a reputation. So, Hilarious. and I actually don't mind it at all. I kind of love that they had that professional yet honorary relationship. I think it's great. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to know if maybe you could shed any light on this, the dynamics between B and Betty and why B and maybe Betty hated each other. <laughs> well, it was mostly B to Betty. I don't think Betty cared. You know, <laughs> Which because, is the ultimate and, way and the of bottom, hating, really. <laughs> right. And the bottom line is when that red light on the camera went on, there were no more consummate professionals than those women. Mm -hmm. Right. So whatever. Okay. But remember B was a former Marine who drove trucks, mm -hmm. right? B was a tough broad. Who you saw is who she was. There was no bullshit about, about her putting on a persona in front of you, right? Ever, ever, ever. She also came from the theater. She was a theater personality, whereas Betty was 100% TV. Yeah. So when we would be doing, as, a, as an example, when we would be shooting an episode, finish a scene, and the stage manager yells, you know, moving on. B Betty would break character and go up to the audience and start chatting with them. And B hated that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, she just hated that. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So, well, and it makes, I mean, here's the yeah. thing. I feel like a lot of people may hear that and be like, oh, why wouldn't be like that? But from a, from a professional standpoint, you know, it is sort of like there are quite literally, I mean, you know, the money, there are thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars being moved around and spent in the shooting of this one episode. So like right. any time wasted is time spent with money. And so if someone's wasting, if someone sees a fellow person, maybe wasting time. Yeah. And I can see how someone from the theater might be a little perturbed by that, you know? Yeah. And it, it really wasn't the money thing so much as much as it was, is here's the Dorothy character interacting with the uh, Rose character. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden Rose becomes Betty. Yeah. And yet Dorothy is still Dorothy. Yeah. So it was a, it was a knocking, you know? Yeah. The suspension uh, of disbelief yeah. kind of shatters when you're breaking character versus maybe just kind of exactly. quietly moving over to the next set and, Right, yeah. yeah, right. Wait till it's all, wait till the show's done. Yeah. You know, but. Um, also, what was, I mean, Betty, because the thing is, I feel like uh, the 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 rumors of, not the rumors, but the stories of B not liking Betty, I feel like it's always very one-sided that B was the one who just sort of hated Betty. But Betty, you know, Betty, let's be real. Betty was a saucy lady <laughs> who had her own personality right. and she wasn't Miss Goody Two-Shoes. And she also probably had no. a bit of a, Let's just say it a little bit of a bitchy side to her too. We all do. And, oh, oh, absolutely. And I like I, I like knowing that, that about yet. Betty. So do you, I mean, can you yeah. shed any light on that? So Betty in front of the audience would come out with some one-liners if she'd screw up a line. I can't recall any right now, but I know they're in there somewhere. But she was very listen, if you see her on talk shows, you know she has those one-liners, right? Yes. She's, she's very, very good at that. And B, B just wasn't like that. B was just, B 
Bee just hated publicity, just hated all the, everything. You know, I remember Bee did a scene once about it was a very dramatic scene. I mean, really dramatic scene. And she walked off the set and I said, wow, B, that was really amazing. She said, it was just acting. You know, it was like, she, oh my God, you can't even give the woman a compliment. You know, it's like, oh my God. Okay. So good. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. so okay. Yeah. So like you mentioned earlier, so you were a producer on the show for the first three seasons, um, which give, gave us some of the most iconic episodes, including season one, episode 13, A Little Romance, where Rose dates a little person. Now, do you have any fun stories about that episode? Wasn't that a funny episode? It's the so best. Good. So Shrimp? Yeah. So oh. a shrimp? How is the shrimp? Unfortunately, I'll never know. <laughs> yeah. So uh, after the show aired... Apparently, as she tells it, B. Arthur got a fan letter from a very angry fan. How dare you make fun of little people? One of my best friends is a little person. And she went on this rant. Well, B. Arthur tracked this person down and called her. Oh, my God. No. And said, don't you tell me that. I know that. And gave her the what for. Okay. Now, the funny thing about that for me is imagine that woman getting a call from the one and only B. Arthur, hearing what it doesn't matter what B had to say. There was a conversation. And this woman hangs up the phone, immediately calls somebody and says, you'll never guess who just called me. B. Arthur yeah. just called me. And whoever she's calling saying, you're full of shit. I don't believe you. So like no one will ever know that that person actually got a call. From it's VR. so interesting you say that because like nowadays, you know, I mean, we hear criticism because of our work or what we do or whatever. And it's usually via social media. So they, yeah, can, can you can be DM any celebrity on social media very, and hear back right. from them. But I remember and you can and it have was the a, receipts. I remember there was a moment <laughs> someone was talking about the podcast, the Golden Girls podcast here, and I forget what the context was, but they said something like ridiculous about me that I thought was so funny. Like, he's so annoying or whatever. So I just replied because I thought it was funny. I just replied with, I know I hate him. He's the worst. And I have never <laughs> I have never gotten the most like flattering responses from that person who posted the original criticism was like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't think you'd read it. I love you. I love the podcast. And it's just. It's just, I love that B did that because it really probably made that woman a lifelong fan of B. Arthur. I'm not kidding. Yeah. You're not kidding. And by the way, as an aside to that, um, I was at a Golden Girls event up in Orinda, California. And one of the people who worked at this theater where the event was held, he was a volunteer, was a little person. Okay. And turns out we had dinner, a bunch of us had dinner. He was there with his um, service dog, which was... Um, a pit bull. Anyway, um, he told us he had been in Folsom prison for 10 years. Wow. And every Saturday night in his jail block, you'd hear the TV switches go on and the theme song from the Golden Girls start wafting through the prison cell. I love wow. That. No Johnny wow. Cash Just when Golden I thought Girls. I heard it all. <laughs> Just when I thought I had heard it all. Wow. That was a new one. Wow. Is that a great story? That, so is, great. that is remarkable. Well, I mean, there were so many incredible episodes uh, in these first three seasons. Another one being 
season two, episode two, Ladies of the Evening, where the women are busted for being sex workers on their way to see Burt Reynolds, which mm-hmm. is, again, <laughs> has some of like the greatest lines of dialogue mm-hmm. of any episode. Um, you also have a story about that episode, too, about the Burt Reynolds moment. So it's a, it's a very, you know, quick, quick story, but I, the audience, a picture of the audience looking at the set, you know, all the sets, right? Nobody knew, nobody in the audience knew that Burt Reynolds was actually going to be there until that door opened and in he walked. And I get, I've got goosebumps right now just thinking about that moment when we were all in, we were the producers, writers, we were in the booth. And when they opened that door and there he was in the audience, I mean, my whole body's covered with chills right now. The whole audience went out of their minds because he was actually there. Oh, hi, Sophia. Oh, which one is the slut? And they all raised their hand. Could not have been a better moment. Oh, my God. It's iconic. So iconic. What a great (laughs) guest star. And I think when we watched that episode the first time on this podcast, we actually timed the audience reaction and how long it took for Burt Reynolds to actually be able to speak his line. And it was something like 30 seconds, 40 seconds. It was long. And if you were to just take out the audience reaction, it looks like Burt Reynolds is just like chewing his gum awkwardly in the doorway and just waits forever (laughs) before opening his mouth. Um, Oh, that's so fun. So they had no idea. And that was, I'm assuming the reaction, you just shot it once. That was just the reaction that you used because you didn't need to get it again, right? Right, right. We shot it in once in each show because we just shot an early show at 5.30 and then at 5 o'clock, another show with a different audience at 7.30. Wow. Just do it once. Say bye-bye, Bert. Wow. Wow. Wait, so I mean- And he may have, and he honestly, he may have just come in for the late show. I don't even remember, but I, yeah, I don't even remember. But all I can tell you is it's a moment that was- Pure. Yeah. So pure. Oh, wow. Do you actually That's... remember what Burt Reynolds was? I'm assuming he was sort of in and then he was out. But did he sort of interact with anybody like afterwards? Did he stick around or did he just get right out of there? No. Bye bye. I can imagine right. Rue McClanahan, though, having a good time with Burt Reynolds in the room, though. I can imagine her. I can imagine me having a good time with Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> we could all kidding? imagine. Maybe yeah. that's the episode yeah. of Real Sex we're talking about. It's all about Burt Reynolds. Well, maybe. Maybe. Maybe not. Uh, <laughs> well, I need to know. So, like, one of the things that, you know, another thing around the Golden Girls that I think a lot of big Golden Girls fans talk about is that Estelle did have trouble with lines. That was pretty notorious. She had stage fright and trouble with lines and i wanted to know if maybe you could talk about estelle's struggle with memorizing her lines and 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 any stories around that time and how maybe the other girls helped out or the production worked around it you know well understand that we had no idea what dementia dementia was at that time Mm -hmm. so even though now looking back that's probably what it was the very beginning of that it was really bad at the point where even in one of the early episodes, okay, remember I said we did a show at five and then we did another show at 7.30. Mm-hmm. Well, in between those shows, we would give, we would have a meal, you know, for the cast and crew. And if there was any notes to give, that's when you would do it to make a change between the early show and late show. And then we would edit the best of both shows together. Well, one of the notes that was given was to Estelle, Estelle, please wash your hands. Okay. Because in the early show, we're doing a scene and the camera does a medium close-up of Estelle and she makes a gesture like this and her line is written on her hand. 
So, and we could tell immediately that that's what it was. So Estelle, wash your hands. Okay. Now, as someone who knows post-production and you guys know post-production and you know that continuity is very important, right? So picture this. We're doing an episode of the show and we're at the early show. And in this scene, Estelle has quite a speech and they're in the kitchen at the table and there's a cigar box in the middle of the table and the cigar box is open and we know that the big speech she has to give us that she has to say is taped to the to the inside of the mm. flap of that box mm -hmm. okay and okay it doesn't matter her lines were written ultimately everywhere in that set but as long as she got them who cares right so she does the line the so the, the cigar box is open she reads okay fine now we go to the late show. We get to that scene. We start the scene and you can see it in her eyes that she's saying to us in the booth, I'm going to show you, I know this speech. Mm -hmm. And in the middle of this scene, she shuts the box. Uh oh, that's bad for and continuity. We're screaming. We are screaming in the booth. Oh my God, it'll never match. It'll never match. It'll never match. So, wow. yeah. And then by the time I left, uh, by the end, by the end of season three, we were doing cue cards for her. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it was bad with her. She had these great managers that we really liked and they were, you know, I, I mean, we threatened to fire her, you know, to get other people, but, but, um, they just ended up doing cue cards, which was good. Yeah. You know, anything to help her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and even like, I don't even have dimension. We've been doing this podcast for almost 10 years and I still can't <laughs> remember our closing script that we do at the, it's the same thing every episode. And I still don't remember how to say it. So <laughs> write it on your hand. Yeah, I know I should, so. <laughs> I should. And then I'll slowly close the box. <laughs> so right? I had two thoughts off of that story. One is, um, I, I think there is. I, I'm wondering if this is the same episode, but there is a scene with Sophia with a cigar box. It's in an episode where her and Rose are selling bacon, lettuce, and potato sandwiches. And Rose has given her a box of IOUs. And I know it's in like, it looks like a cigar box at the table. I don't know if there's a big speech. That's off. That's just, I'm, I know she has a cigar box, but maybe she has a cigar box at the kitchen table. Because you don't, I mean, you probably don't remember which episode it was, huh? Sorry. No, that's sorry. okay. I'm like, Marsha, <laughs> how dare you not know all these years I later? Know. Um, I'm trying to think even what I episode know. she had the cigar box with the magic one when she was doing the, it was yeah, the or maybe, with yeah. Dorothy. Yeah. She, yeah, or maybe with like old family memories or something yeah. there too. So it could be lots of episodes. Um, I also feel like with Estelle, because, you know, all of the women had TV experience and Estelle really did come from the theater. And, you know, as you're telling that story, I was realizing too that because, you know, people were like, but she was a theater actor. Think about how much you have to memorize, you know, for a show. But the difference is it's the However, same every night. That's right. Versus that's exactly on TV, right. you're getting versus changes constantly. It's changing every week. That also must have been right. a bit of an adjustment for her, I imagine. That's, it was frightening. It was frightening to her at the beginning. Yeah. Because you read it on Monday, you shoot it on Friday, and on Monday it's another 50 pages. Mm -hmm. And I know towards the um, with the second year, third year, we were sitting around the table doing a reading. The script was hilarious and the rhythm is going right. The reading is going great. And, um, 
uh, Estelle gets to a speech and she just stops everything cold and says, I'll never remember that line. And Terry Hughes, I remember saying, Estelle, the line is so funny. Today is Monday. It's not going to change. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You'll still have that line on Friday. So, you know, it was, yeah. So interesting. But that's, that's how unfortunate. Yeah, it's unfortunate. And you could tell it's a job that she clearly, I mean, I read her, you know, autobiography. She loved that job so much, but it must have been, I mean, just an this added pressure to her that must have been just really hard for her to deal with. And I hope that she had a good support system around her. But it's also one of those things too that that. like, you know, I mean, I come from a family with someone who's disabled. I think it's something that like, you know, you can make, accommodations for people who have Mm -hmm. disabilities and that was one of her disabilities but it didn't change her acting it didn't change the 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 fame that she was able to create and it didn't change what she gave us all those seven years on the show even if she was reading off of a cue card didn't matter to us because it was her that mattered so make the accommodation for her and celebrate her you know mm-hmm. yeah no but i don't think anybody cared except if it affected the production yeah of course Plus, yeah. we all right. know that but B. Arthur viewer, was reading right? off of a cue card during the chronic fatigue syndrome uh, episode. Yes. We know that. So, like, we saw those you eyes. know, we saw those we saw eyes those darting eyes. around. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't remember. Oh, that. go back and Did watch when she confronts the doctor at You'll the end. It. She's giving a speech and then she's looking over here and then she's giving the speech and then she's looking yeah. over. It's a I it's once egregious. Saw, I have to admit something. I once I forget her name now. I once saw a drag queen do that speech, a lip sync of that speech. and. The drag queen was looking like to a cue card and then back to the person. Oh, no. And oh, only no. the true Golden Girls <laughs> fans in the, the audience Golden got Girls it. Fans yeah. know it. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Um, and by the way, you know, chronic fatigue, that came from Susan Harris yes. suffering yeah. from that. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. yeah. We've read so much about just, yeah, her struggle with that and people wouldn't believe her. And I'm glad that she put it in an episode of television and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. made, you know, millions of people understand this thing that she was struggling with. Um, Right. Marsha, you have a fun story about the main title sequence, as I understand it, which is, I think, for the Golden Girls, between the song, the shots, the looks, the B. Arthur biting the fist is so iconic. <laughs> uh, I don't know what story. I just know that you have a story about it, and I'm dying to know what it is. So we weren't on the air yet, obviously, but we were shooting the show, and Tony Thomas says to me, you know, we are taking meetings with these main title companies and they're coming in with all these ideas, whether we're going to take the ladies to Miami, we're going to shoot a helicopter, blah, 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 blah. He said 20,000, 25,000, 30,000, 40,000. He said, you know, nothing's, nothing's just tweaking our propeller and nothing's really getting to us. And I said, well, you know, we've shot four episodes. Let me go into post with all the raw material. We know what the song is, you know, and by the way, Cindy Fee did it in one take. Wow. Oh, I was, I was there. Incredible. Wow. She's incredible. Yeah. She she did it in one take and said, okay, that's it. You got it. And Tony started screaming, no, no, you have to do at least one backup. You have to do it. So she did it, but it was one take. Wow. But yeah, that was fun to be there for that. But anyway, I said, let me just go into post, you know, for a day, half a day, whatever, and take the song. And he said, go, 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 go. Frame for frame. What I came out with is what went on the air. <laughs> it was my main time. You saved them a bunch of money, I bet. <laughs> what? 2,500 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. wow. Okay. So, all right. I, oh, I'm like, I have so many <laughs> questions. So what, what were, 
did they have an idea of like the other title company production companies that were pitching stuff? What were some of the other main title ideas? No that, idea. Oh wow. And I I had never I hadn't been in on those meetings, so I had I didn't know I didn't care. Yeah. I just knew that I liked cutting video to music, so I have the song. I have th- thousands of you know images to look through from four episodes, all the raw footage from two shows a piece, so it's more like eight episodes. Wow! Right, and I just did my homework, and then I went in with an editor with the song, and I said, "Let's just try this." I mean the. I could, I mean, I feel like we should just break down at some point the whole main title sequence. There are certain moments where what you're seeing on screen works beautifully with the music. When B. Arthur throws Betty into the closet, yep. the, it, it, right? the music, right? it's as if the, it right. was scored to that. Um, yeah, I did that on purpose. Yeah. When, when Rue walks down going like this, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm as, you know, as a virgin at a prison yep. rodeo. That was to the beat of the music. I, I love doing yeah, that. Yeah, it's, wow. I did that. it's, well, I did that. Hats off to you. That is, hats off. Now we just have to add that to the list of all your other <laughs> accolades and, and abilities. Yeah. Um, I also feel like I there was a trend beyond that of using footage from early episodes for other television shows as ways to save money. Oh. Well, remember, a main title does not sell a show. Mm-hmm. Doesn't make it a hit. People want to see it once and then they're done with it, right? Yeah. I mean, how many times do we go skip intro, skip intro, yeah. skip intro right on, on all, right? So it's dumb to spend a huge amount of money. And there are main titles that I think are phenomenal mm-hmm. that I go, wow, that cost them a fortune. Laverne and Charlie. That's unfortunate. My favorite. Really? I love the Laverne and Charlie no clue. title. Oh, really? Oh, it's so but, good. But, um, but the truth is you're selling these women and- and it's funny, yeah. right? And the song is great. And what else do you need? Yeah. Does it ma- Does it? Would it have made a difference if we'd taken them to Miami oh. and shot them in Miami Beach? I can't imagine uh-huh. B. Arthur on right? the beach being no. like having a having an ice cream oh, fall on God. her and stuff, and then she slowly turns to the camera. <laughs> you know, I no, can't. I no, can't imagine no. that. But no. it does yeah. speak to because again, Golden Girls fans have just broken down the main title sequence, and <laughs> and you can tell that there are. Um, either like alternate takes of like B biting her fist. It's different than what's in the episode. There's a moment with Blanche pulling the sleeve over her arm, which is a deleted moment. Um, So yeah, but they're all, they're just, it's so iconic and it's so absolutely perfect. So, right. And so I, again, I was working with all the raw footage, Yeah, you know, so not the show footage, but the raw footage. Yeah. She had the dailies, everybody. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So I also want to ask you about a rumor that there was a very expensive piece of wardrobe that was repeatedly used on the Golden Girls. Really? I heard this rumor What's from you. What's that about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, what, okay. What was I thinking? What, okay. Um, Give her I more, Carrie. Give That's her all more. I have. There was a, a very expensive okay. piece of wardrobe that was repeatedly oh, used. Oh, I know what it is. Yes. She's back. Yes. She's back. See, 73 and it still it's works. It's still there. Occasionally. Yeah. Yeah. Although my back goes out more than I do now. But anyway, um, so, so in the beginning, when we had to age up Estelle, mm-hmm. 
uh, we, with makeup and we would spray her hair white or gray or whatever it was. And after a few weeks, the hair person said to us, that hairspray, the, the hair dye color is really ruining um, Estelle's hair. So the expensive piece of wardrobe was a $4,000 human hair wig That's that what she I wore. Thought. We bought her. Yes. Because in the first, because <laughs> we've I've talked about that on the podcast before that I, that first season, I knew she used her natural hair for like a part of it, but then midway through or somewhere along the way, yeah. the wig was employed because like she right. had, I mean, also they talk about her coming back second season with the facelift and the, she did the Hollywood glam moment when she came back and all of that too. Wow. Well, I remember, I remember the pilot of soap, Catherine Hellman. Then you look at the series, you said, oh, once she got the series, she had her nose done. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, you know, wow, so. between the pilot I mean, and the rest of the series. Honestly, honestly, respect. <laughs> I would too. If I came into some money, that face is being pulled up and back, y'all. I'm sorry. I don't care so, what people, what is it? continuity what is it? be damned. Yeah. <laughs> so there was just the one wig, that one wig. Wow. Well, when I was there, yeah. there was just one one wig. Yeah. yeah. But you know, you yeah, a wig that's that expensive, you want to take really good care yes. of it. Yes. Right? Yes. Because in those days it was and you know, all of B's clothes were custom made and almost all you know, they had a lot of custom clothes. Yeah. Because we had a great wardrobe. Judy, Judy Evans. Evans. You know, she was amazing. We love Judy Evans. Yeah. We love Judy Evans. Yeah. Wow. That's we incredible. Do, yeah. Well, I also want to know because I, one of the things that the Golden Girls has stood the test of time and continues to find new audiences every decade. Why do you think that is? Why do people still love the Golden Girls? Well, I remember that question was asked when the ladies were on stage doing a Q&A or something. And Betty said it perfectly. I think it was Betty. It stands the test of age. Because it's funny. Yeah. yeah. And yes, they 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 handled topics. They dealt with topics that were almost verboten back in the day, mm -hmm. but are still relevant today. Yeah. Whether it's abortion, whether it's AIDS, whether it's homelessness, mm -hmm. it doesn't gayness, it doesn't matter. It's still so relevant today. Yeah. Fortunately, unfortunately, you know how whatever. So it just works. And it let's face it, you can watch a uh, something over and over again, and you're going to laugh over and over again. Yeah. Rarely, but on this show, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. So we yeah. know it's, it's really a simple yeah. answer, right? <laughs> well, and that's what's so, I yeah, mean, that, to me, like we had a couple guests a few episodes ago. We had um, a young person from the show Survivor, and he's, you know, he was born in like 2001 or 2002, and we watched an episode <laughs> of The Golden Girls with him. And when I watched, well, when I watched it with him, I was like, oh God, he's going to hate it. He's not going to understand any of it. He's going to hate it. And he loved it. He thought it was fun. He laughed. He was like laughing the whole time because it really does. It doesn't matter what age you find it in or when you were born or whatever. It's like at some point you live your life and you come across the Golden Girls and you kind of laugh a little bit, even if you don't understand everything. It's the writing. It's and, just and funny. And isn't it true? Right. And you guys have been to conventions and you've done the podcast for so long. But just in your daily life, you find people of all ages mm -hmm. who you happen to mention it to them and they go, oh, my God. Yeah. And, and you know, even I got to tell you, I went to Spain 
and I'm in Madrid. I turn the TV on, and what pops up? Las Chicas de Oros, <laughs> the Golden Girls. And there, and there we were being dubbed in Spanish. And I went, "There's my name," and I'm in Madrid. I was so excited. That's Whoa. so fun. I, Wait, I mean, I everybody watched. B. Arthur even in her Academy interview, her television Academy interview, said that she would turn it on every night. She would, or every Saturday night when it was on, like she B. Arthur yeah. watched the Golden Girls. So. And then she'd watch real sex. I mean, so, you know, it's just like. I love, I do love a world in which I was watching real sex as like a a teenager and B. Arthur was too. I love that we live in that world. Knowing we were all watching real sex at the Uh, same time. Do you remember uh, what she said to you when she called you? I I remember exactly. And this will kill you when I tell you. Because she, we were having breakfast here at the house and um the phone rang wayne picked it up blah, blah blah oh hey how you doing how you doing yeah she's right here marcia it's b arthur hey b what's happening she said marcia i saw you on an episode of real sex last night i said oh really that that's really something i said b let me tell you that 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 segment is so popular it's run i can't begin to tell you how many times it's run it's so popular and she said I know, sweetheart. That was the second time I'd seen it. <laughs> wait, Marsha, we have to know what Does was the segment. Get, the wait, segment. wait, wait, wait. Does it get better than that? No, <laughs> no. But you know now everyone at home listening everyone is wondering, what did Marsha do on Real, on Real Sex? Sex. Oh my God! Really? Yes. Really? We need to give us at least a hint, a hint, and then. And it, uh, well, I can tell you that it even made the best of <gasps> sex. That's how good it was. Oh my God! I'm obsessed with you, Marsha. <laughs> and I will tell you, it was shot in my house. Okay. Ah, Go I on. I need to know more. <laughs> <I need> to <laughs> know more. My God, this is almost better than the fact I dated a porn star. But anyway, um, um, <laughs> you need to write so many books. You need to do so many things. I'm Marcia. obsessed. I'm obsessed. Oh okay, we're gonna. We won't, no more real sex. We'll, we'll, okay. I, well, we'll, we'll talk about it offline. We we'll definitely will. That. Yeah, we can yes. do that offline. Okay, yes. Yes. okay. make okay. a note. Well, make a note. Well, my, okay. One of I also need to know. Besides all of that, is where do yeah. you keep? your Emmys and Golden Globes? And that's not a real sex question. Oh, well, I actually keep the Emmys and Golden Globes and the Telly Awards that I have um, on the mantelpiece. And there's one reason why I do it, because multiple times throughout the year, I have a young person who I may mentor Mm -hmm. in this business for a few minutes, a few months, a few years. And when they first... I always invite them to my house because of that, because when they see it in person and they, and I put it in their hands and take their picture with it. And I say, this is what's possible for you. Wow. And I'm someone who came from struggling so hard when I moved to California that I ended up um, sleeping in my car, dancing with men for money. Mm. And yet look what happened. So when I tell them that, and here's the proof, yeah. it changes everything for them. That's why I do that. Oh, 
I love that. I love I love and you and I have talked about this, the the work that you do today, giving lectures to college students and mentoring. Um, and you've even been able to use the Golden Girls to discuss some really important issues with younger generations in your talks as well, haven't you? Right. So there is a class at Cal State Long Beach in gerontology, which is the study of aging. And the professor who's in her 40s, who you saw, by the way, at the convention, she talked on stage. Mm. She gave a whole talk about aging and it was brilliant. She's just brilliant. It's a great panel. Um, yeah, I was on the panel as the comic relief, but she's the, you know, she's just brilliant. But she is a fan fanatic. Okay. Her dogs are Rose and Blanche. Her whole <laughs> office floor to ceiling is Golden Girls merchandise. Oh, wow. She starts every class by showing an episode of the Golden Girls. Wow. And what the topic is, is what they talk about in class. And again, it's a gerontology class. Nobody in this class wants to get into show business. Nobody, not one. They all want to help the elderly, mm. right? And people my age and older who, who, whatever, whatever, whatever. Yeah. So I have spoken to the class twice when they showed the episode on menopause mm. because I happen to be an expert at it, you know, and, um, and I, I love telling the story. Um, first of all, you remember that episode and it's very, yeah. um, it was very meaningful, I think, to women who were, think, who were afraid of menopause or who were going through it and, and it was dealt with very seriousness and then it was dealt with laughter and, you know, and I said, listen, when I first started suffering from hot flashes, it was so bad for me in the, at nighttime I would wake up multiple times just in a puddle of water and I had no choice, but in a, I had no choice, but to throw off my night clothes and just continue to sleep naked yeah. because I was so hot. Mm -hmm. I said, and sleeping naked for me is never a problem except on those really long airplane flights. <laughs> Which we learned about on your episode of real sex. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Right. Right. No, no. So, so, um, yeah, and also it's one of the reasons why I've been married to Wayne as long as I have yeah. been because, because um, I was during those days, and it's still I'm 20 years into menopause. But anyway, um, in the beginning when it was so bad, and I'd wake up in the middle of the night, I was so uncomfortable. Ultimately, I would end up waking him up. Yeah. And one night, two 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 thirty in the morning, pitch black. Mm -hmm. I I'm miserable, and I wake him up in the pitch dark. He says to me are you cooking again? And I said, yes, I'm cooking again. I said, you know, I wonder what would happen if I, when I feel a hot flash coming on, if I run into the bathroom, put a thermometer in my mouth, would I see my temperature go up? Yeah. I mean, that's a real question, right? And in the pitch dark, he says to me, I've got a better idea. <laughs> Next time you feel a hot flash coming on, why don't you run to the kitchen, get the meat thermometer and shove it up your ass? <laughs> So that's how my next March will be married Wait. 40 years. Wow, we love that. I love that. Right? And his quote oh. is cross-stitched on a pillow right on your couch behind you right now, right. isn't it? But let me tell you something. I, and I tell this to kids all the time. Life is attitude, yeah. right? We can either embrace it or be a victim. Mm -hmm. So, what you, you know, it's not our abilities in life that show who we are. It's our choices. Yeah. Right. So what choice are you going to make? Yeah. This is what we're going. I'm going through this in my life. It's part of life. Yeah. And I'm not dying. Mm -hmm. So how bad can it be? 
right? So it's all an attitude. Yeah. 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 So it's one of those things. It. Suck it. I was, I was just, I recently <laughs> just interviewed um, Kathy Griffin and we were talking both about our shared cancer experiences. And one of the things that you learn from cancer and chemo, and I know Marsha, you can relate to this too, is that like you learn to just say, fuck it. Like it, nothing's going to be as worse as that really. So, and as scary right. as that. So exactly. let's just, it's all about how you respond to things and nothing is as worse as the thing that could be. And even if you've never experienced that worst thing, it's still all in how you respond to it. And I just want to say before we, Absolutely. before we wrap up, Marsha, that like one of the things that I think what you do so well now in your career is you personify the message that the golden girls really personified, which is that it is about celebrating life at every single stage in all of the wonderful, beautiful ways in which you can celebrate it, both in terms of the honesty of the meat thermometer to sex, to real talk, to real sex, to all of the things and the full spectrum of what it is to be a human being, not just be a senior citizen or a middle-aged person or whatever, and also to that when people reach that middle-aged point, especially in this business that we're in, it can be really scary. And it's like, no, you have a full life ahead of you to do interesting, creative things and you can still be funny. And I really think that you personify yeah. that in a lot of ways. So I'm just grateful oh, that you're here today you. and you're talking to us. Well, thank you. I, I We could go on forever. Yeah, we could, but we can't. I wish we could, but <laughs> we can't. We just can't. But thank you so much for doing this. This is we now. This is the end of this portion. And I am just, okay. I, I'm just so excited that you were able to hear and talk and answer our questions. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. And thank you to everybody out there who appreciates that show so much. Oh, well, Carrie, let's take a little break and we'll come back with our golden takeaways. Sounds good. And we are back with our golden takeaway, which is a nugget of truth or inspiration that you can apply to your life or the lives of our listeners. Carrie, what's your golden takeaway from this fabulous episode with Marsha Posner-Williams? My golden takeaway is, I think, and I feel like I speak for a lot of Golden Girls fans when I say, every time I learn something new about these women, it feels a little bit like Christmas morning. Learning today that B. Arthur was upset at a woman who wrote a, a fan letter to the show and that she looked up her number and called her. Obsessed. That is, I'm, obsessed. my mind is blown. I'm obsessed. I feel like it just. I can't take it. it I actually feels, want to die right it now. It just I want feels to die. like such a B. Arthur thing to do. Um, and it was just so incredibly wild and funny. So I just I, I really appreciate anybody who has worked with the women, anybody who has especially worked on the Golden Girls, who can give us these little anecdotes. I always appreciate um, because mm -hmm. it really, truly does feel like Christmas morning. It really does. And my golden takeaway from this episode is. One of the things that I loved about the chat with Marsha, other than her just being so funny and so many fun nuggets of everything. But, you know, one of the things that I love about the Golden Girls, and I told Marsha this a little bit, but that the Golden Girls speaks to you at every season of your life. You know, it spoke to us when we were younger and in our 20s and our 30s. And like it, 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 it speaks to you at different stages of life in different ways. And what Marsha does with her lectures and her work and her just everything that she does is she talks about sort of the seasons of your life and the stages and how you can react to them and live around them and live. And the Golden Girls did that so beautifully in that, like, 
They celebrated life in every season. It didn't matter the season, just like live your life. And Marsha to me personifies that vibe that we love about the Golden Girls. And as someone who, you know, we're both, we're both in a season of our lives. I'm not gonna say which one. <laughs> but if I didn't do it, at, somebody somebody else. I know, would someone have. at home is. But we're both we're both at a stage where, you know, it's 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 an interesting stage. And I think to have more voices like Marsha out there talking and you know, saying these hard truths and being funny about them is just, I think we need a lot more of that. And we just need a lot more women of a certain age just talking and telling their stories because we haven't had that even after the Golden Girls was on the air. There needs to be more shows with women of that age talking about what it's like to be that age because it's even rare now today. So I think we need more Marshas working out there in the world. More Marshas. More Marshas. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that is a beautiful golden takeaway. And everyone, Thank this you. has been another episode of Out on the Lanai. Thank you all so, so much for listening. We will catch you back here next week for more Golden Girls greatness. And also, we will catch you back here in two days with a really, really big announcement. That's true. I'm so excited for that. And guys, we are part of Mom, Moguls of Media. So go on and subscribe to Mom Plus because they offer so much fun stuff. And also you can follow us on social media at Golden Girls Pod and on, on, on Twitter, Instagram, Out on the Lanai Official, on Facebook, Golden Girls Pod. And I am H. Allen Scott slash Sadie Pines on everything. And I am Squidzy on Instagram and Squid Eat Squid on Twitter. And if you have a moment and you want to support the podcast, please rate and review us wherever you get this podcast because the more ratings we get, the more the show will get bumped up and the more people will discover it and join our lovely kick-ass community of Golden Girls fans. And as always, remember, stay golden! Stay golden! Out on the Lanai is not endorsed by Wit Thomas Harris Productions, Touchstone Television, Disney, or any of its subsidiaries. It is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names, pictures, audio, and video clips of the Golden Girls are registered trademarks and or copyrights of their respective trademark and or copyright holders. 